Hello everyone and welcome to Scots We Hate podcast and I'm talking today to Dr Adele Patrick from uh, Glasgow Women's Library. Thank you Adele. Lovely to be here with you. And we're just saying um, before we switched on that it's against every instinct you have to speak normally in a library. You keep expecting someone to come round and shush you. But, um, Not so, in this library. No. no. <laughs> if we get quiet you'll understand why and Ian will tell us to speak up, no doubt. Um, so Adele, I'd like to just start by talking, if you could talk about, you were one of the co-founders of the library, is That's that right? right yeah. And it's now in this fabulous building in Bridgeton. Yes. Um, I guess it's probably been a long journey to get here. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yes, it, it's been almost like a nomadic library really for the last 20 odd years. Um, well, our origins really were in um, an announcement that was made in the late 80s that Glasgow was going to be a European city of culture. I don't I know if you remember well. that. I do. Um, and a few women who sort of knew each other through various sort of connections had thought, you know what, it'd be great if there's an international spotlight on Glasgow during that year that it wasn't just going to be sort of like the same old faces representing Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, the same old faces were definitely sort of lots of guys. Um, and uh, they may well have been lovely guys and yeah. talented guys, but we were just sort of thinking, you know, it'd be great if there was um, just an opportunity to show some of the things that women are doing, you know, in terms of creativity and culture. And it's hard to remember now just how sort of like gendered uh, mm -hmm. Glasgow was because now there's there's a definite diversity in artists and writers and people involved in the arts generally. Absolutely. Um, but then it was a very different picture even though it's a relatively short period of time ago. So really we started organising around that, right. you know, and um, so we got writers and art, um, artists, filmmakers, people who are involved in theatre, poets, um, together really just to sort of put a festival together during 1990 and we accomplished that but I think what we hadn't anticipated was that it was almost like opening the Pandora's box to <laughs> women who wanted a place to um, have their work shown, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they, they were thinking that there was work to be done as well and uncovering the sort of like hidden histories of women's creativity and culture in the past. There was quite a lot of discussion over the, the period when we were organising about, well, are we actually sort of um, breaking waves here and doing something new or did the Glasgow girls in the 1920s do yeah. that and why has their history been lost and so on and so forth. So I think we sort of like unleashed this sort of like hunger or enthusiasm or dynamism for, for something which became the Women's Library. So that was really the starting point for for us. Okay, so you felt, did you kind of start it and then realise there was this great need for it or did you know there was a need for it and then, you know, so you filled that void, if you like? Good question, because you just think, well, how does that translate into a women's library? It's such an abstract mm. idea. Um, but during the 1990 festival, we'd invited naive as we were we just thought oh we'll have an international festival of women artists and art archives and so on and so forth i mean not really understanding what that would mean especially mm -hmm. since we didn't have a phone or a toilet <laughs> or basic things that were required to sort of host an international gathering but uh, women came from lots of different international women's arts organizations and a few of them were from women's libraries including 
one group that was from Nuremberg, Nuremberg's twinned with Glasgow, mm-hmm. and we were really astonished to discover that these women were representing one of the two women's libraries in Nuremberg, and we're thinking, Nuremberg's smaller than Glasgow, yeah. why would you have two women's libraries? And after 1990, even though we were quite exhausted and, and broke as well, yeah. Uh, we thought, you know, this has captured our imagination, you know, in this sort of fallout period where we were letting it all percolate down and thinking, what's next? We'd had an invitation from these women to visit them in Nuremberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went begging to the twinning office and managed to scrape up a bit of money and went and visited our sister organisation, Nuremberg, and really it crystallised there. We were right. just sort of thinking, wow this is a great idea this this library could um really showcase and collect and conserve and celebrate the histories of women in, mm-hmm. in glasgow because that's what libraries and archives do yeah but also we could be a support mechanism for contemporary women working and we could really be almost like a little crucible for them yeah. you know a place for women to go and share their experiences and support each other and so on and so forth and we saw that happening in Nuremberg what we also saw um, in amongst their records they get lots of information about other international women's libraries and it looked to us like they were all really peculiar really specific to their context you know really very much um, idiosyncratic local type homegrown enterprises they weren't like the libraries that you maybe come across in academic settings or whatever so we thought I wonder what type of library would grow in Glasgow you know so yeah so that's really where it crystallised 1991 we launched a year after the end of that festival Mm -hmm. and that was really the thinking time and it all sort of came together reasonably coherently you know so I know it sounds a strange phenomenon we're still the only one in Scotland I was going to ask that question that's interesting we are yeah we're still the only one and I think it would be lovely to see satellite libraries and we're not sort of expecting to grow and grow and grow and empire build until yeah. we're sort of taking, going back into the storming, back into the Mitchell or whatever but uh, you know I think um, there is something really lovely about the the local nature of our work mm. but also that we do have national visitors, we've got international visitors next week we're having a contingent of 17 Dutch librarians coming over to see us and even since we moved here to Bridgeton we've had lots of international visitors already so it's it's interesting you think was there ever a temptation that um, as you grew that you could say well there isn't any other uh, women's library in Scotland so we will be Scotland's women's library I always yeah. wanted to keep that local yeah. um, I'm really interested about the idea of there being a kind of global network if you like for one of a yes. better word of women's libraries but they all retain their own yeah. very definite um, local culture and reflect that you're absolutely right you're absolutely right um, we did in that, that period where we were developing what was Women in Profile that grew into the library around that 1990 sort of festival um, we very rashly and very naively sort of called ourselves Glasgow Women's Library, um, the Scottish Women's Arch- Women's Writers and Artists Archive. Uh, so we clearly had some of that ambition then, and I think it was 
Mortis that said, you know what, there's nothing happening like this in Scotland. We've got to try and do it all. And I think um, our ambitions uh, were sort of tempered a wee bit with the realisation, do you know what, we need to start actually getting some books in here and some bits and bobs like <laughs> a librarian. I think it took us about 10 years to get one of them. Um, but, That's really uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, but but we, um, we are definitely now on a trajectory where we are looking to become a Women's Library of Scotland. So right. our strategic plan, we've got four flanks of the strategic plan and one of them is to become a national provision. In the meantime, we have had funding to do work nationally. The government mm-hmm. gives us some funding to do some national projects. And we do, we are working across Scotland all the time. So we're recently in Brora, we've worked in Clydebank, we've worked in Wigton, we've worked in Aberdeen and so on and so forth. So we are working across Scotland, but I think uh, we have to go through some procedures before you can call yourself a national anything. Mm -hmm. So that's the sort of like pathway we're on just now. We've become an accredited museum, which is one of the steps that we need to go through. But there are further steps we need to go through and one of the reasons why we're so chuffed to be here is that next door in that fabulous room um, we are going to have our archive we're going to have the whole collection unleashed mm-hmm. and that's going to be one of the things that we need to have in place in order to really make a proper claim for national status we want people to visit us and be able to access the materials and at the moment we've maybe got a third of our materials accessible the rest is in storage waiting for that major Mm -hmm. work to be done because when people think of libraries you know we're surrounded here by books and that's what you think of but then um, having seen the space that you're going to use and having looked, we'll talk later about 21 Revolutions, um, the book which has come out, but what's in there is uh, examples of it is archive and it is museum yes. and there's these fantastic um, artefacts that have been collected over the years, I mean I can see the umbrella stand yes. that, uh, that's in the book over there yes. um, was that right from the beginning that it was going to be um, yes. archiving a kind of cultural history, social history? Yes Again, ridiculously overambitious we were in the very early stages, and I think it's like that classic thing of if you'd really known mm. what you were taking on, you wouldn't have done it, and so on and so forth. But I think, um, yeah, and partly it was to do with not actually knowing what was the difference between an archive item, a library item, <laughs> and, a, and a museum item. And I think we've been blessed with really amazing librarians, really amazing collections team, archivists and so on, who have gently told us, do you know that object there? It's it's not actually a library artefact or whatever, it's a museum piece, you know. And We've almost sort of been on a reverse trajectory to most of the proper libraries, archives and, and museums in that I think that our big sister organisations, including the Nationals, really privilege the object and the text and the artefact and it's their job really their principal aim is to sort of conserve preserve Mm -hmm. maintain the objects and i think our starting point was about access what they'd now call widening access you know and involvement and participation and we've gradually been professionalizing and learning from our sister organizations we had a fantastic day a week or so ago in the National Library mm-hmm. and our colleagues it couldn't be more helpful but we've been gradually tooling up you know whilst keeping this sort of widened access mm-hmm. approach and what we've seen is that our national counterparts and the 
proper, so-called proper organisations, have actually been looking more and more to sort of like democratise and open up the collections and widen access. So we're actually at a really interesting sort of intersection yeah. now with our colleagues where they're looking to us a wee bit to sort of say, well, how do you get young Muslim women through the door or how do you get LGBT people to sort of like take ownership of your collection? How do you make it meaningful to the different diverse groups that you work with? And we're really keen to sort of find out how do you properly conserve and classify yeah. things, you know, so... So maybe you're coming from a very interesting point, because I think museums in general have to... There's a feeling that they have to open their doors more and open their exactly. exhibitions more and get people more involved. It's the only way that can keep going. And if you've started from that point, yes. it's maybe easier to learn how to, you know, protect the really precious stuff and all that. I think so. I think so. And I think that um, because we started in the way that we did, a really very much a grassroots organisation, you know, there were always women who were experiencing poverty involved. There were always women who were real grassroots campaigners who saw the Women's Library as their home. You know, there was a lot of rolling up tobacco smoking going on in the early <laughs> Women's Library, you know, which you don't generally get in museums and archives. There was a lot of that sort of campaigning and doing this sort of rootsy stuff and I think it's meant that we've had almost like a a privileged relationship with people who've got things to contribute to this collection that they wouldn't normally they might not even know about donated to museums and so on and so forth so we'll get things like zines or photographs mm. or ephemera you know you talked earlier on about popular culture and so on and we've we've got things that are handed in to us that I think people we always take it as a complete privilege that we're getting this stuff in um, but I don't think that normally museums and archives would be given these things you know or people would, might deliberately not want to give it to yeah. certain collections or whatever so We've got this sort of in almost to to people. Um, a recent sort of wonderful cache of stuff came in through our Badges of Honour project, you know, where we're asking women to bring in a precious badge mm -hmm. and talk about the history around it um, and record that, you know. So, and honestly, they're just absolutely incredible stories been offered, but also these things that actually, there's not an awful lot of value to them in terms no, of no, financial... No. But the actual meaning and yeah. the, the legacy, the unbelievable sort of histories associated with badges, and we we're, were actually interviewing women about badges that they'd lost, <laughs> but that they'd worn every day for ten years of their growing up, and mm. it was you know they loved Debbie Harry that much, or yeah. they loved Nelson Mandela that much, or, you know it was a really meaningful thing in terms of their identity yep. and, and so on. So I think that's our approach. Really, it's not like thinking oh golly we've got to have the entire set of whatever mm -hmm. or you know it's very much about what people think is meaningful to them them handing it in and really getting a co the context around everything that is handed in as well so it seems to me that it has to be accessible which are and also there's there are barriers that people say you can't imagine someone you know going into kelvin grove and saying i've got you know a f fantastic collection of um uh, 
magazines going back to the 1980s or something yes, like that. But in yeah. that is a social history that sometimes would never be seen. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think uh, we're only realising now that obviously some of our own history is getting to be sort of like artefacts. I mean, increasingly I'm feeling like an artefact <laughs> as well. People coming in and sort of interviewing you as oh, you're about to pop your clogs any time and like, God, you're still alive time of thing. Um, but yeah, I think that some of the things that, and I don't know whether this is a gendered thing as well, that the campaigns that women have been involved with, so the flyers or the badges or the ephemera, the t-shirts and so on, they're not necessarily thinking of that as significant archive mm -hmm. stuff, you know. And, um, so we've got a, a job to do really with women's site. Please don't throw anything out without letting us know. And as you say, magazines, things like um, fanzines, or some of the really beautiful things that are um, ma magazines from the early second wave feminist movement in Scotland, like Nessie, mm -hmm. you know, this fantastic radical um, feminist magazine, you know, that was produced that hardly anybody knows about, but it's it's just a photocopied, very, very fragile sort of, sort of documents, you know, but for us it's like a real window into you know, what women were doing in terms of campaigning in the late 80s um, in Scotland. And these things are now becoming historically significant and researchers are actually sort of saying, Do you know what, the, the whole landscape has changed in terms of the mainstreaming of equality. Well, how did that come about and mm -hmm. who was campaigning and why do we talk now about things like anti-racism or sexism or whatever? And it was really this sort of like spade work done by women whose histories are really evaporating, you know. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's a history that is, if not quite lost, that's certainly not forgotten, you know, because obviously what you're doing is trying to keep it alive, yeah. but a lot of people wouldn't have known it in the first place. Exactly, and I think that the means of documenting is so different now. Again, yeah. we just think over the period of the library's um, growth, it's actually maps almost exactly the IT revolution, you know. So mm -hmm. I really remember really vividly in our first home, um, somebody coming in and saying, oh, I've heard about this thing called email. And really, literally, <laughs> it's an American yeah. student at Glasgow University and they're coming in and just the concept was... It'll never catch. <laughs> exactly. I mean, literally, she just said, I think you should go into Glasgow Uni and ask about it because you can send a message to America. And I went to who? <laughs> who? Who's on the other end? It's a bit like you know. Alexander Graham Bell at the beginning we're exactly. going to talk to. And there's a, a photograph of us, I think, in the Evening Times or the Herald, where I think by that time, maybe a year later, I'd got an Amstrad, you know, mm. and it was great. And I ended up taking it in the Women's Library. And I think for this photo shoot, actually, because we were trying to look like a a proper library so we had to have a computer and somebody lent us these sort of like keyboards that weren't attached to the actual monitor so that people could be pretending to tap away in a computer and everything but um, I think that in, in the period that we're talking about of sort of like the ferment of equalities and women's campaigning you know in the second wave from the 70s 80s mm. on when you're talking about people not even really taking very many photographs there's certainly very little video documentation yeah. there's no emails there's no websites there's nothing so and i think that the women who were involved in that were not necessarily prioritizing documenting what they were no. doing 
Um, we've got plenty of really frustrating posters in the collection with no year on. Mm. You know, it'll just say, get together March or like year Friday. You know, and it's <laughs> like, oh, golly, you know, somebody needed to have written on the back of that or whatever. But, And I think because a lot of projects had their funding pulled or schismed or maybe a, a charismatic person who was leading the group disappeared or whatever, loads of projects just fold. And then all their materials, nobody's going to step in and say, let's archive that and let's find a lovely home for it. It's just that things get bagged up, dumped, you know, mm. under people's beds and then they flit and, you know. So things are, I think this type of material is particularly fragile. Do you feel that over the years you've been open um, that a clearer sense of women in Glasgow has um, appeared as you know as you've been documenting and you say well you can bring together different parts that maybe you had never before had a home um, I think now it feels to me like there's been a bit of a sea change over the last few years in terms of um, with our move to the Mitchell, I think that people um, started thinking, you know, the library has grown up now, the women's library has grown up, and there is a place for women's history. And I don't know whether that, that I can't claim that that's had a real sort of like cultural zeitgeisty mm. type of moment, but maybe coinciding with that, there just seems to have been an upsurge really in, in feminism generally. I mean, mm -hmm. you hear about everyday sexism, all these different types of groups that have grown. And I think that it feels like there's a more of a sense of like what we'd call in the in the past sisterhood or whatever, mm -hmm. but a, a, almost like a debate that's taking place more in a more widespread way. And uh, there's certainly really healthy gender studies courses in in the at Glasgow Uni certainly. Um, you know, there's there seems to be a bit more of a sort of like coherent sense of of not so much campaigning but a, an acknowledgement that women are doing brilliant things mm -hmm. they're expecting to be sort of selected they're expecting to be published they're expecting to be uh, have their work shown um certainly i've noticed in this project i don't know if you've come across a generation project mm -hmm. we're involved in in this and it's like looking back over 25 years of visual arts and I was just sitting in the, the first induction session of, of Generation thinking, wow, fantastic, you know, because that survey, unlike what we're looking at in 1990, mm -hmm. I would say that at least half the participants, at least half the people shown are women, but also the people coordinating it, the people who are editing the, the handbooks are women, that there's loads more women art critics, you know, so it does feel as though things have changed you know and that things are happening and that there's more of an, an acknowledgement you know what the women's library is where a copy of that book should go or you know we're, we're much more regularly sent things people are being a bit more cautious if the pro if projects are folding they are contacting us and mm -hmm. saying do you want this collection people are bequeathing things to us you know that we're getting manuscripts and things like that so I think there is a sense now of, of the playing field getting levelled a wee bit and that, you know, things are happening. I mean, obviously, um, we keep checking in in the Women's Library thinking, are we an anachronism now? Yeah. Is our day come and gone and we don't need to do what we're doing? And um, in actual fact, it feels like there's more and more people contacting us to get involved in projects, lots more partnerships, loads more women coming through the door. So I think 
you know, it's great. And there's also guys using the women's mm-hmm. library as researchers or coming to events or going on walks or whatever. And that's a really fantastic thing as well that everybody's actually thinking, well, this is something I'm going to might be interested in. Or, yeah. So good. I mean, my my background is Scottish literature, and yes. it's interesting that you say 1990 because I was just thinking, and um, I've read more Scottish novels by women post-1990 than pre yeah. partly because there just weren't any to, to get your hands on you know, know. it's it's an incredible kind of, I mean it's, it's like like many his, histories of literature but certainly Scottish literature um, and it's not that there weren't women writing there yeah. were but they are kind of wiped out of the the history and they're not in the collections or lost not in many of the collections there are some exactly I mean you're talking about 1990 obviously Liz Lockhart Janice Galloway's breaking through yeah. I think Hale Kennedy, Kennedy yeah. just breaking through, mm-hmm. you know, but few and far between, you know, and it, if there were anthologies, they would be asked, yeah. you know, but it wouldn't be, in, you wouldn't be seeing this sort of like emerging flanks when I'm in now, and you just think of the diversity of the work, you know, mm-hmm. from Kirsty Logan to Muriel Gray or whoever, you know, I mean, there's Denise Minor, all these fabulous fabulous voices coming through all totally distinct you know um, it's very exciting to see you know it's not as if it's just sort of like one type of women's writing that is breaking through in Scotland you're just seeing it in every course every genre there just seems to be fantastic women doing amazing stuff so well that brings us on to 21 revolutions which is just a fabulous book i should say the writers involved in that you get karen campbell margaret elphiston helen fitzgerald janice galloway jackie key al kennedy zoe strachan and louise welsh and and on and on and on and you know i've read every single one of them you know i mean that's the uh, and it's and i don't know the artists as well because it's not my area but as well to see that there's such a fantastic representation and as you say it's so different you know yes. I can think of many people as different than Helen Fitzgerald and uh, Kirsty Logan for instance yeah, you know I mean it, exactly. it's a huge uh, uh, range there um, yeah. so how did you go about well let's talk a little bit about 20 revolutions and how it came around right. that would be the best way of doing it we had a sort of regular um, women's history themed um, group uh, meeting in the women's library in 2012 um, I think maybe this meeting that I'm thinking of might have been the end of 2011 um, but the group was called um, the Women's History Detectives and our archivists would sort of pull out some amazing stuff from the collection, it would just be a public event, people would come along and this particular evening we had a, an event that was looking at the posters and the prints in our collection so it was everything from fine art prints through to real agitprop, fantastic sort of radical feminist sort of stuff from the 1970s and earlier um, and there was a, a young uh, printmaker there called Helen Domain and she was sort of saying, do you know what, it would be really brilliant if we invited some contemporary printmakers. And again, as we've been talking about this upsurge in women creatives doing amazing stuff, there'd been a, a burgeoning of fantastic women printmakers actually in, mm-hmm. in Glasgow getting together. And I think she was sort of connected with them and she said, maybe they do something. And our um, strategic development manager, Sujan, was thinking along the same line. She's actually a, a trained printmaker maker herself and I was sort of thinking you know it'd be good to celebrate two decades of the women's library Mm -hmm. 
typically it took us about a year to ah. get this crystallising, so it ended up being a 21st anniversary. <laughs> um, but by that time we're thinking, why not ask 21 writers as well? Mm. It'd be really great to do that. We're always over-ambitious, as I've, I've mentioned. So, um, But the first sort of tentative inquiries that were made with some of the artists who maybe had a longer history with us, um, I think we first approached Claire Barclay, who mm -hmm. had been involved right in the origins in that um, 1990 festival she, she'd mm -hmm. been involved then. Um, and we were sounding her out. She had gone on to represent Scotland in the Venice Biennale and is a really well-respected artist. And the sort of enthusiasm that she sort of, the way that she responded with enthusiasm to the idea really gave us courage to sort of ask some more of our sort of fave, you know, mm -hmm. artists and writers. Um, and they all were saying, yes, you know, so <laughs> we were just like, oh, wow, this is incredible. So... I mean, there were some, some people who I won't name who mm -hmm. uh, couldn't participate um, because they were involved in finishing off their novel or they weren't in the country and there were reasons why they couldn't couldn't get involved. Um, but the, this is really a dream team for us. This is an incredible array. And we didn't want to just work with those uh, women who had had some contact with the library mm -hmm. before. We'd had a long history of working with Jackie Kay and, and some other fantastic writers and artists. But... We did want to include some emerging artists as well and again just sort of with this sort of idea of um, maybe being a, a crucible for, for young and emerging talent um, and we thought it'd be really great for some young people to be on a roster with some Absolutely, of these fantastic yeah. ones as well so it's like a f really a foot on the ladder hopefully for some of them as well. Um, so we really just went for it you know and we managed to get some funding from Creative Scotland, Museums Gallery Scotland uh, so the first thing was really to s give them a brief, an open brief for the artist. It was to create um, a print run, so it's 20 prints, mm -hmm. and we would have one in our collection, and then we could sell the rest, and we were really open about that yeah. with the artist. We, we need support all the time, so this was a way of... Uh, giving us almost uh, unrestricted funding for the library for the build that you've, you've heard a little bit about. Mm -hmm. um, and for the writers, we just sort of said, please write us something around 1,500 words or whatever. We didn't realise that that was a really awkward amount of words for people <laughs> to write. We just thought, oh, that's that's a small amount, so yeah. they'd be happy to do that. But I think a lot of people wrestled with that. Um, I th everybody was generous to a fault. I mean, like, you know, somebody like Carla Black, who's like a Turner Prize nominee, mm -hmm. instead of doing 20 prints, did 50. Wow. You know, we, Jackie Kay, instead of writing one poem, wrote three in a series and then another poem about another subject as well. So, I mean, everybody did more than we could possibly have expected and the goodwill was, like, absolutely palpable around the project, so... And, you know, you see this, it's prints, but there is... There's a real diversity of styles and yes. a fantastic scarf. It's just amazing. I it's and um, I think it's Heather Middleton's done a great kind of cartoon and jigsaw doom. It's amazing stuff. <laughs> no, um, it, it's such a wide range of um, styles and techniques as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we had real sort of like master or mistress printmakers on the job here, you know, like um, Elspeth Lamb mm. and Jackie Parry, who really are like you know, really venerated 
really fantastic uh, printmakers and really regarded almost like the best in Scotland in their, their particular fields. Um, and then we had artists who were really well regarded like Shona McMullen who'd never made a print before and we really wanted to wow. sort of like challenge some of those artists to do something different and I think the feedback that we've had is that everybody has sort of like developed their practice through this process and we're really chuffed that I mean Muriel Gray had sort of said about this that she she felt like there was a slight competition between the women artists, you know, like and the women writers to sort of do something that they'd been asked and they wanted to do something really, really great right. that would be like, you know, well regarded by their peers. Um, and I think another way of looking at it is that a lot of the artists felt secure and safe and really well supported by the Women's Library team to do something that maybe they wouldn't have a chance to do with another commissioning organisation. So I think there's a, a real blend of that going on, you know. And, but we were astonished by the diversity mm -hmm. of, of the work, as you say. And people choosing to do things like Delphine Dallison making a, a beautiful print, but making these sort of original badges as well for us. And I mean, we could never have anticipated. It was like unbelievable joy each time the artist came in as you say Ruth yeah. Barker with his scarves just sort of opening them up and it was like oh wow you know that's just totally and utterly beyond what we could have anticipated I think originally I was sort of thinking you know prints that's quite a sort of control contained way yeah. of making uh, no, knowing so little about printmaking, mm -hmm. even though I'm Glasgow School of Art graduate, I still sort of had that idea of like, well, they're going to be flat. You know, flat. they're going to be... frame them when you can. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Little did we know. <laughs> but there is, they're out. They are fantastic. I should say, are these? How did you sell them? Are they still on sale? They are still on sale. They're selling fast. In fact, the last two weeks we've had two more of the Jackie Parrys, which are probably the in the top end of the mm -hmm. at the price range selling. I think as a result of. The, the book coming out yeah. um, and I think some have sold out I think the Sam Ainsley Sam Ainsley is a sort of really seen as the, the godmother of the Glasgow miracle in terms of fine art so she really has got uh, a lot of stock or whatever they, they yeah. call it um, so I think they've sold out but there's still quite a lot that are still selling there's a lot that we're really overjoyed that are in public collections so mm -hmm. um People don't have to buy them to see them. They can yeah. see them here, and they can see them in uh, Gallery of Modern Art and in other uh, public collections as well. We've tried as well to sort of with this having emerging artists on, well-known artists to sort of cover that base as well, because we'd love people to sort of be able to buy something that they really, really love from this collection. People can buy one of Delphine's badges, which mm -hmm. is you know matter of pounds yeah. or if they have the means to do so they can buy one of these mistress artworks by Jackie Parry or whatever so I think again we're worth thinking about that and thinking it would be nice if it was something that everybody could sort of buy into but I think during the first exhibition run um, I think we sold around 15 or maybe 18 thousand pounds worth of prints which is incredible it is incredible you know, it's yeah really brilliant and uh, if people were interested in looking to, to get one, where would you go about it? Go to our website. They're all there on the shop, mm -hmm. on the website shop. Uh, or they can come in and see the original artworks here as well in mm. the Women's Library. I have to say it's worth coming in here just to come in and look around. It's a fantastic Thank place. Thank you. Um, 
there's also some essays there as well. And how did you, was that? A, I mean, obviously it was deliberate, but how did you decide what you know what you were going to write about? Then? Well, we had a, a brief. We did say creative writing, mm-hmm. um, but we as soon as we read so Margaret Elphinstone has written an essay for us. As soon as we we read that, we just thought. She decided to respond to the brief in that way. Fantastic, you know. And I think the the writers and the artists have taught us what we should have been doing in terms of commissioning, rather than the other okay. way around. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, we were really chuffed. We just sort of said it can be a poem, it can be a piece of creative writing, and we just left it at that. And people have responded in the way that they have in this incredibly diverse way. Um, Kirsty Logan, you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier on, she, I think, is one of the, the writers who really decided this is going to be an experimental it's like thing a collage, for me. isn't it, almost? It is. It's almost like a ransom note. That's um, right. yeah. So, and yeah, I think Muriel Gray as well were really, really touched at the way that she, I mean, she's a, a gore person, you know, yeah. she's, a, she's a horror writer. Um, and she just decided to write something that's so poignant around marriage guidance. You know, I mean, it's just like completely unfathomable um, what people would do, you know, and what they would turn in. But we're really, really overjoyed at what they did do. Ail Kennedy decided to write something around knitting patterns, mm. you know, in the collection. I mean, again, we couldn't have predicted that. So. There's some fabulous pieces. Um, I, I do love the joint piece between Louise Welsh and Zoe Strack and oh, anyone yes. who had a heart. It's just fantastic. That's so great. And the way that they perform it. And I should say that um, the other element from 21 Revs that we're really chuffed about is the free podcasts that people can download as well on our oh. website. Well, we'll have to link to those, definitely. Oh, absolutely. So all the writers have recorded uh, a podcast of them reading their work Fabulous. and talking a little bit about their inspiration. So I think we've been delivering them on the 21st of each month for the last 19 months. Okay. And we've got two to go. Jackie Kay's will be delivered on our website or through our iTunes if people want to mm-hmm. do it that way on the 21st of this month. And then the final one will be Janice Galloway. So um, that you can hear Louise and Zoe doing their double acts um, through the podcast. Um, there's also a picture of some of your artefacts in here, or some yes. fabulous artefacts. And as, to go back to this idea of having, you know, looking at popular culture, it's one of the things that I believe in. One of the reasons that we do the podcast and try and look at the local, whether that's Scotland or whether that's you know Glasgow or whatever it is, yeah. is that by looking at the popular stuff, I think you can learn so much because that Absolutely. is the folk stuff. That is the stuff that people are dealing with every day. Absolutely. And that, and that seems to be such an important part of the book, and it seems to be now an important part of the library. Absolutely. I mean, I think the vernacular, for want of a better word, and the local, as you say, that's the thing that triggers the imagination. It triggers memories. You know, when whenever we're doing workshops, whether it's in school settings or with community groups or with whoever, you know, it's really important that we've got those things that can be a trigger for people and that, you know, the badgest thing, just to go back to that project, um, you know, things like ballroom dancing <laughs> badges or uh, badges that are about local bands or, mm. or badges that are about local campaigns. You know, everybody has got a little archive in their house of one sort or another, whether it's in their cutlery drawer or mm. underneath their beds or whatever. And I think this sort of idea of 
making women aware that they have little collections themselves. Why do they keep those things? And it, that's exactly the same for us. Why do we keep mm-hmm. the things that we do? Well, because they are significant to people who might not have an, a terrific amount of monetary value, mm-hmm. but they, they have a really important role to play in reminding people of the way that Glasgow and Scotland's evolved as cultures, you know, why, you know, why people have, have kept a little fragment of a letter or a, mm. um, a you know a little handbook or a, um, we've got things like songbooks from Greenham Common or whatever it might be all these things have got a significance for people uh, you know on different types of registers so yeah. um, and I think what we wanted to do in 21 rounds I mean we couldn't determine what the artists and writers would choose yeah. you know that was a real lottery you know they could have all chosen the same thing, but it was brilliant that they did end up choosing these really incredibly wide array of stuff. So in the publication, we could say these are the sources, but it gives you an idea what else is you're going to find yeah. in a women's library. You know, it could be girls' annuals, or it could be um, Dusty Springfield seeds, <laughs> or it could <laughs> be um, t-shirts or or badges or whatever. So it's really important that we could sort of show that in here because I think people find it quite hard to imagine what would be in a women's library, yeah. you know, so it's great that we've had a chance to sort of and I do think these that. things are important to people because it's about their individual identity, but then as a secondary thing where it's a shared identity that people maybe exactly. didn't know they shared. Exactly. You know, that's that thing about, oh, you did that, I did that, and whether exactly. it's in a tight period of time or just in an area, sometimes in a small area that people can say that. And it can be materials that are not local to Glasgow, Scotland, but have had a different meaning for people in in Glasgow and Scotland. So say, for example, I mentioned earlier on about um, Scottish uh, wonderful fanzines or women's liberation materials like Nessie, but a lot of feminists in Scotland were reading Spare Rib, Mm -hmm. but they were reading it, you know, maybe with a slightly cynical head on or... You know, th- there's an imagined community around that as well that people might have said, well, I bought Spare Rib, but it's only because that was the only publication the only thing, out yeah. there. And I used to curse it every time it dropped through the letterbox <laughs> because there's so little about Scottish women's mm. history there. Um, but there's a lot to mine there. You know, we're talking to a lot of feminists who are, are saying, well, do you know what? It made me go and set up my own wee fanzine or it made me... Uh, going to c- c- campaigns that were mm. local to us because I saw that women in London were doing that and thinking, well, actually, we've got a terrible asbestos problem here, or we've got a, you know, we need to set up a campaign group around this, that, and the other. So, I think it's it's great just as a trigger to have these materials here, girls' magazines, the Bunty mm-hmm. things like that. They don't need, although they were produced in Scotland, they don't need to be. Scottish content to actually trigger a lot of really heated debate and discussion about what that meant to girls or young women or or grown-up women at a particular time in history. So sometimes it can be grist to the mill, really. You've got a a cover of, um, I think think Glasgow Riot Girl Band, and you think, well, this was an American movement, and I just love the idea of people going, well, why why don't we do it here and we'll just do it here? Totally. I mean, I think we can say that Scotland and Glasgow can lay claim to fermenting the best, most fabulous, you know, <laughs> popular cultural movements of one sort or another. I mean, there's very little that 
you know, hasn't originated from Scotland. It's got any significance. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's really interesting to see, for some people to see, yeah, the right girls were alive and kicking. You know, our mm-hmm. fanzine collection is absolutely enormous here. And half of that material is Scottish homegrown stuff, you know, and half of it is maybe North American or stuff that fanatical right girls here picked up in various settings around the world. So. You've also got, I have to mention this because it jumped out to me, National Museum of Arola Derby. Exactly. Um, I mean, this is, is sort of really on the spectrum of ways that people interpreted our brief. It's and I showed in the back of the book there. you've got a Arola Derby helmet as exactly. well. Exactly. So one of the fantastic artists that were new to us that we approached for 21 Revolutions is a really dynamic, incredible woman called Ellie Harrison whose mum has actually donated her badge collection to our Badges of Honour because she was a, a fanatical, really brilliant um, CND peace movement woman. So that's been one of the unexpected outcomes of 21 Revolutions, mm. meeting mums of the artists and writers uh, yeah. involved. Uh, but Ellie Harrison um, responded to the brief by saying, Do you know what, I don't want to make prints. But I would like to make printed material, that might be one of the outcomes, but what I really want to do is fuse my two passions at the moment, which is uh, roller derby girls and this phenomenal movement that's Mm -hmm. taken off, and my interest in feminism, which I see as being um, located at the moment in the Women's Library. I want to bring these two constituencies together I think she had a view that the librarians and the archivists and the women in the women's library were sort of old school (laughs) and she had tapped into this young, fabulous, sort of like dynamic uh, group of young women who were roller, roller derby fanatics. And she just sort of like played with this idea and she's she's a, a really fantastic sort of political artist and, a, and an artist approaching things in a very dynamic, uh, innovative, innovative way. Uh, and she was sort of saying, why not, why not let me play with this idea and actually build the National Museum of Roller Derby within the Women's Library? So we just said, Okay. And what type of things are you going to print? <laughs> so she did actually come up with the stickers that are sitting over mm-hmm. there, roller derby stickers. She came up with wonderful badges. She um, she coined uh, some really fantastic merchandise, new T-shirts and so on and so forth. But we were really proud to be invited by National Museum, uh, or the National Roller Derby Network, to have the National Museum of Roller Derby here. So uh, we had roller derby women coming from um, Scandinavia to visit the Women's Library, from Holland, from Sheffield, from all over. And we actually did some of our outreach work in these national uh, roller derby meets or bouts. So it was a a steep learning curve for the collections team to get their heads around this phenomenon. Uh, but why not? You know, you just think, well, no, the stuff is not being collected. It's a fairly new movement, but it's already generated a lot of stuff that will be lost in the way that we've been talking yeah. about unless somebody collects it. So we're just really happy to be part of this amazing thing. And it did indeed bring some pretty fab women into mm-hmm. the library that would never normally cross our threshold. So we're very pleased and proud that that's, that was one of the unexpected outcomes of 21 Revs. So it's it's a fantastic book it really is a fantastic book thank you and, so much um 
how now you've done quite a few launches of it how have the launches gone how have they been they've been amazing yeah we had over 150 people at the glasgow launch it was a really wonderful wonderful event with um our, our co-publisher uh, from freight had said there was a lot of love in the room you know it was a really fantastic vibe in glasgow and obviously sold loads of books which is fantastic as well loads of the artists and writers in attendance Fantastic. had another brilliant launch in Edinburgh last week at Creative Scotland headquarters and in Dundee as well as part of the the um, women's festival in Dundee which is the biggest women's festival in Scotland and we had an event there we've got an upcoming 21 revs launch as part of I Write. Oh, fantastic. And then we go on to lots of other festivals during the yeah. year and, you know, happy it to... keeps on going and keeps on exactly, going. Exactly. <laughs> happy to go out on the road and do a pop-up 21 revs thing wherever people want us, basically. So um, I think it's something that hopefully people are going to really enjoy. You know, they're really going to um, enjoy reading the mm -hmm. text, looking at the artworks and finding out more about the Women's Library. And uh, you spoke a little bit before we started about the hopes for the future of the library and their grand hopes they are as well. Yes. Grand plans, I should say. Yes. Um, but this is obviously something which is, in, in a sense, you, you talked about the history of it, but it's only really just beginning, it seems to me. Yes, I mean, we, we do keep checking in and making sure that the Women's Library is still relevant, but I think the vibe is that, yes, um, there's still a need for a Women's Library in Scotland. And I think for the first time we're going to be able to build this beautiful permanent home here in Bridgeton and, and invite everyone along to Women's Library, whether it's for film screenings or for book launches or to see their lovely collection mm. or to deposit whatever they want to, people want to in, in our collection. So we do feel like this is going to be a wonderful home in the longer term. We feel like we're in the right place at the right yeah. time. It's in a really fantastic location. Absolutely. For people who are coming from further afield, um, it's just five minutes on the train from Central Station, so it is an accessible place as well, and we're two minutes walk down the road from the People's Palace, so we've got Glasgow another Green and big sister organisation up the road there. Of course, yeah. Well, I've just realised we've been talking for about 50 minutes, so, so we will uh, let you go. No, not to talk. It's been an absolute pleasure and absolutely fascinating. So thank you very much, Adele. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to, to be a part of this. So well done you and this fantastic enterprise of yours as well, honestly. I really appreciate you doing what you do. Thank you very much. And we will be back next time with uh, someone completely different. Thank you. Thank you.